We all have a story to tell. Let's tell yours. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast with your host, Jason. Come together and listen to journey stories and more from interesting people. Welcome your host, Jason. Today I have Chuck Surak, founder and CEO of Sweetwater.com. How are you doing today, Chuck? I'm doing great, Jason. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for coming. I'm really excited to have you on. So Chuck, take us back to when you were a little boy and you wanted to do what in life? What did you dream of doing? What did you think you were going to do for a living? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I had two paths. I wanted to, to do music. I play saxophone and keyboards, but I also wanted to be a doctor and uh, got through high school taking all the college required classes and, and that sort of thing, thinking that I would be a doctor. So I took chemistry and several years of Latin. And then I went on the road as a musician. And boy, once the music is bubbling in your blood, I never looked back and, and never went to medical school. But I, of course, served on a couple hospital boards and, and uh, had my fill of that, if you will, and, and thankful for the, for the path that I chose. Do you, do you ever look back and go, I wonder what if about being a doctor? Oh yeah, all the time. But I have a lot of doctor friends, as I say, having served on boards and uh, a lot of them are a little frustrated right now with the way the medical, I mean, they're not doing what they went to school for. You know, they're, right. they're worried about number of appointments per day and, and you know, just a lot of other things. And and some of them are excited to get out of the, the doctoring business. I'm, I'm just glad I never was in it. Understood. Yeah. So you go really heavily into playing music, correct? Yes. And what, what was your big break in the music industry then? I think I'm still waiting on my big break. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I played saxophone and immediately after high school, I went on the road doing music. And, and so I played back then. We had top 40 bands that were playing six nights a week. And, and you played a circuit, holiday inns and, and college and nightclubs and that sort of thing. And I did that for about five years. And it was in one hand, it was glamorous. On the other hand, it wasn't very glamorous. Uh, we were living out of suitcases, hotel rooms or apartments, uh, didn't make a lot of money, but man, I was having fun. But uh, after doing that for about five years, decided to come home and start a recording studio uh, with a VW bus. And it was a VW bus my mom and dad had given me as a junior in high school. My mom had wrecked it, ran it into a telephone pole. I filled it with two gallons of Bondo and I spray painted it with 99 cent cans of spray paint. And that's what I drove my junior and senior year of high school. And that's what I used on the road as a musician. And so I came home and, and really had just the VW bus and a little bit of equipment that I'd gathered on the road. And the idea was, until I figured out what I really wanted to do, the idea was I'd pull the bus alongside the school, the church, the nightclub, run 200 feet of mic cables in, mic up the band or the choir or the preacher. And I'd sit in the bus with my headphones and record them on a four-track reel-to-reel tape recorder, which was what was so popular back in 1979, 1980. So that's the start of the company. So basically the VW bus was your studio on wheels. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, today there's, there's people much smarter than I am that are doing it because it makes good business sense. And in my case, it was a matter of necessity and that's all I could afford to do. I didn't own a home. I didn't have a lot of other stuff. I had a VW bus and a little bit of recording equipment. So then where did that take you when you were recording all the time? Sure. And so again, I was doing lots of bands and choirs and, high school bands and just lots of things. And back then we would make cassette tapes or even uh, LP records. And then eventually we did CDs, but I would take those recordings from my VW bus. And, and as humble as this sounds, I went to the living room of my 12 by 55 mobile home. 
And I lived in that mobile home for several years. And that's where I would take the recordings in and edit them and process them, make them sound better, do a little bit of mix down. And through this process, the recording studio started to grow. And I went from a four track reel to reel tape recorder and then eight track reel to reel tape recorder. And about that time, after about three years, I bought my first house on the West end of Fort Wayne, Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's where we're based. And a small thousand square foot house. I built a little two car garage off the end, grew to a 16 track recording studio and, and then eventually to a 24 track, two inch kind of industry standard for the early eighties and uh, did all kinds of music. And what really changed our business in 1984, I had a friend that owned a local music store here in Fort Wayne. And he asked if I wanted to go to the NAM show. NAM stands for National Association of Music Merchants. And uh, I went to Chicago to see the show with him, and I saw a prototype of the Kurzweil K250. And it was the first instrument that played back digital recordings of other instruments. And so it had a nine-foot grand piano. It had an upright bass. It had a 50-voice choir. And I thought, well, how cool is that? In my own studio now, if I bought one of these, customers would have the opportunity to make their music sound better. And How would you like to hear your music with a 50-voice choir or a 45-piece string section? So I bought an early one. I bought serial number 32 and uh, it really did change my business. Every recording session ended up being an hour or two more as I overdubbed additional parts for, for my customers. I also was hired to go around the Midwest to other studios to help, you know, sweeten their tracks, if you will, to put the string sections on and that sort of thing. And in the process, I'd always been technical, taught myself how to do electronics and computer programming and, and all that. And I started reverse engineering how the Kurzweil worked. I designed my own sounds for it, and it didn't take very long where I knew the machine pretty well, both on the outside, but also on the inside, and designed my own sound blocks. And I became friends with famous musicians, and they were folks like Stevie Wonder and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. And um, I became sort of the expert on the Kurzweil K250 and uh, knew a lot about it. And, and uh, that's really how the company started, taking care of my high-end friends with their Kurzweil needs. So then how do you transition into one of the largest retailers in the world. Yeah, it's amazing. 42 years this year, and uh, every year we've been more profitable at the top line and the bottom line. So it's been an amazing path. Started so humbly in a VW button. It's just a true American dream, and I'm, I'm so and thankful. Um, you know, those same Kurzweil customers, and, and understand back in those days, it's kind of funny that the Kurzweil only had 12 notes of polyphony, where it could only play 12 notes at a time. And I, I got a call soon after I'd sold a friend a bunch of upgrades, and I'll never forget him and his name. And uh, Stephen says, hey, I want to buy another Kurzweil. And I said, oh, my gosh, those are twenty to $30,000 instruments. Why do you want to buy another Kurzweil? And he says, Chuck, they only play 12 notes of polyphony at one time. And I'm so naive. I literally hold my fingers up, and I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm thinking 10 fingers, right? And he says, no, 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 I, I do orchestras. I do composition for orchestras, and if I had two of them, I could do 24 notes at a time, and that would be close to an orchestra and much, much cheaper than me having to buy an orchestra, hire an orchestra for the day. Wow. And I thought to myself, okay, you're a little weird, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I called the factory to see about becoming a dealer for new instruments and eventually became a dealer for them. And then those same sort of customers started asking me about doing music software on the computer. And I said, well, I know how to do that. I'm doing that in my own studio. And so there were some early programs called Professional Composer and Total Music, and I became a dealer for those. And then they wanted recording equipment. In 1990, uh, I was still operating out of my second house now, but I said enough was enough. I had five employees working for me. We were answering questions all day long from, from my friends and customers. And, and frankly, the studio was still going, but 
the customers were kind of bothering us. I want to get back to the studio work. In 1990, we built our first commercial building. We moved about three doors away. It was a 5,000 square foot building. And then we just took off from there. We had 20 employees next year. Uh, and we kept adding on and adding on to that building. And we finally moved out of there uh, in 2006. So this was from 1990 to 2006. Wow. And we had 50,000 square feet by then, and we had 200 employees. And, and today we're at a campus here on the west side of Fort Wayne that we moved into in 2006 with an initial 40,000 square feet. And we've expanded and expanded. And today we're at about a million square feet. It's, 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 it's truly a humbling story. And I'm thankful each and every day. And is it true there's over 1,500 employees at that campus? There are. In fact, it's closer to 2,000 employees. 2,000. You know, the responsibility to think about 2,000 employees and the families is, is overwhelming, and especially this past year, or 2020, just sure. a scary thing to think about. But uh, I'm just very thankful for the support that we get from customers all around the country, all around the world. And are the gross sales close to a billion? We surpassed a billion. You did. Uh, and we did back in uh, December. And uh, in fact, we ended up the year at about a billion one, uh, which I can't, thank you. I, I can't even say that number. And, and, and I am also um, a little bit embarrassed to say it because I know a lot of people are suffering. A lot of companies are suffering, a lot of individuals, but uh, we don't really even think about the number. The number is a number. We think about each and every customer that we take care of. And I've always believed, and I started as a Boy Scout. Boy Scout learns to be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, clean, brave, and reverent, which are amazing principles to live by personally, but they're also amazing principles to live by professionally. And I just want to take care of people the way I want to be taken care of. And I let the dollars follow however they follow. It's such a great message, Chuck. It really is. It's Thank so inspiring. Thank you. So with all of those employees, how many and all of that money in gross sales, do you have any idea how many shipments per day on average? You got yeah. Out? yeah, absolutely. So right now on average, we're doing 14 to 15,000 orders a day. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I started in a VW bus and boy, that isn't inspiration for anybody. Absolutely. I started pre-internet, you know, and today there are so many opportunities to be successful. Now there's also lots of challenges and competition and all that, but, I think a young person today or an old person has more opportunity and ability than I could have had back when I started. Everything from the internet to being able to research things and learn things to loans that are available. We couldn't spell the word entrepreneur back in 1979. And so, you know, that's part of my mission today is I help young people, try to encourage them, try them to follow their dreams and their aspirations. Um, but, but yeah, 15,000 orders on average, we did near, nearly, well, we did 32,000 orders one day over the Christmas holiday. Um, we were doing 28 to 30,000 most days through December. What do you find the most challenging part of the business? Wow. Let's change this year. Um, this year, of course, the challenge is COVID and you worry about the safety of your customers uh, or the safety of your employees. And then frankly, the, the, uh, the position your customers are in and, uh, so that's been a huge, huge challenge. Inventory, getting inventory this year has been unbelievable because those manufacturers shut down for weeks to months, depending what position they were in. Um, but I would say long-term, the biggest challenge had always been getting sales engineers. And our philosophy is to have someone here on the phone who we put through 13 weeks of Sweetwater University before they ever talk to a customer. Uh, we believe everyone in our company is either adding value or taking value away from the Sweetwater brand, and we just can't afford to have someone take away from the brand. So they spend 13 weeks before they ever talk to a customer. 
And they come to us with a pretty good music technology degree and background ahead of time. Um, but we spend 13 weeks and, and it's 300 classes taught by 80 different teachers. It's almost like getting your doctorate, you know, and uh, um, but that's been our challenge in the past. I will tell you, as we grow, it's getting easier and easier. And so now it really becomes the problem of getting inventory, especially right now. Hopefully that'll clear up later in 2021. So why, why do you believe it's become easier to train to find more sales engineers, even with the fast growth that you have? Right. Well, we hired about 120 new sales engineers last year. We have about 540 right now. Uh, we're on target to do 120 to 140 this year. It's it's uh, your question very specifically is because we've got our brand pretty big and and there aren't a lot of great choices for a musician to go work where he can have a real career. And uh, and so they come here and they stay a long time. I have several sales engineers now that have been with me for 30 years, and many, many, many in the 20 years. And that's just so unusual compared to other music stores across the country. And I don't want to uh, complain or diss about other stores. Comp I, I think all competitors are worthy, but they just tend to pay minimum wage. They don't stay very long and they're there till they get another gig, either as a musician or maybe another gig in another industry. And, and we're here about from a career point of view. And, and so, and we also have a beautiful building. And so I bring a young person or an older person out to our building and see the campus and there's nothing like it in the United States. So it's, it's pretty easy to convince them to come here. And your campus is 160 plus acres, correct? It is 160 acres. It's uh, just under a million square feet between the new distribution center and the main building. Um, and I hear all the time, I don't know if it's true, I haven't been there, but I hear all the time it's Google-like. We have all kinds of uh, services in our in our company, some for uh, customers and, and of course some for employees. So as an example, we do have a big beautiful store and we're actually building a new store. It'll be done this summer uh, in June. Uh, it'll probably be the largest store in the United States. In, in, of course, it has a big warehouse attached to it. Sure. <laughs> Makes it even bigger. But we have a gaming area with pinball and ping pong and pool tables. And that's open to our customers, whether they're retail customers, whether they're people in our recording studio, or maybe it's the husband or wife who's dropped their child off for music lessons. Uh, we have a, an amazing cafeteria. I hate to even call it a cafeteria because it's really high quality food and it's all custom done and we do it all in house. And um, we've got a slide. So if you're on the second floor and you want to slide down to the first floor, you can do that. And there's a coffee shop and lots of live music. And a lot of people say we're Google-like. Again, I've never been there, so I don't know what Google is like, but just a lot of fun things. My beliefs are um, that we want to take care of our employees. And if we don't take care of our employees, how are they going to take care of our customers? And then it's also nice for our customers to see that we're taking care of them and our employees. So it's just a great place to be. And all that stuff adds up. So it's a lot easier today to get someone to come work at Sweetwater than it was five or 10 or 20 years ago when we were kind of unknown. Yeah, and I have to imagine that the people that work there and the people that visit feel like they're going to the best musical playground in the world. I hear Disney all the time is what I hear. And the other thing that I hear, and I'm really flattered by this, what is it? How come all your people are so friendly? You know, and I'm sure that's true at a lot of other places, but you know, I, I get people asking, you know, is it the water? Is it, I think it's just, we hire really, really good people. We train them really well. We know the interview process we put our folks through and it's hard to get in here. Uh, you know, for everyone we hire, there's probably 10 or more that we turn down. And so uh, I think people appreciate being here. They appreciate being around people that inspire them. Man, I'm inspired myself. I'm here every day early because I have Grammy award winners. I have folks that are just doing great things for the community, great causes. I have people that have been manufacturers reps that have had their own companies. 
great musicians. We have the musicians in this company are unbelievable. And then when you think about the musicians in, in Fort Wayne, our churches have great music. Our nightclubs have great music. And uh, we have a very, very strong arts community in this region. And partly because we've brought, I don't know, 70% of the 2,000 employees to Fort Wayne now. How over the years have you been able to not get bought out? <laughs> Where Chuck says, you know, I love to do all my personal hobbies and I love to play music. And quite frankly, I don't need to work anymore, I presume, and just say, okay, I'll sell out to another big conglomerate and move on. Yeah, that's a great question. I've had plenty of opportunities, plenty of options. I love what I do. I'm here every day. I'm not driven by money. It is absolutely passion and I'm not driven by the money. So more money isn't going to change my lifestyle. And, and if I were to ever sell, you know, I'm 64, that's, that's always possible. But if I were to ever sell, it won't be the way most people think. I want to make sure I take care of my 2000 employees and the families I've brought here. Quite often when a company goes public, they quit uh, worrying about the thing that brought them, the, you know, the, the, the focus on customer. And next thing you know, they're focused on shareholder value and quarterly returns and making decisions that are not the right long-term decisions. My wife and I own the company 100%. We have no shareholders. We uh, have very little bank debt. And so we can make the decisions that we want to make. And if it's a good decision, we make it now. We don't wait for the next year's budget and all that sort of thing. And uh, I'm just very thankful that we're able to do that. I looked online and I saw that you have 16 companies. Is that indeed the current number? I'm a little humbled or embarrassed to say I'm not sure. It's in that ballpark. Okay. There may be, actually, I think there's a new one that hasn't been uh, on websites and stuff yet, but that's the ballpark. And if okay. I do any more, I'm scared to death. My wife's going to leave me. <laughs> Does she get overwhelmed? Um, she just wants to make sure that I have balance in life. Understood. And, and I, uh, I absolutely, I play really hard. I work really hard. And I, I, I don't sleep a lot. I sleep three to four hours a night. And I'm always, always, uh, there's so many things I want to do and want to learn. And I realize how short life is. And frankly, that's how I've gotten into most of those other businesses. Anyway, I interrupted you, Junior. You can ask me a question. What are some of those things that you want to learn? Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated every day with learning new things. And it's only a matter of hours a day that I can't get to it. You know, the businesses are all very different, but they all have one really common thing. They're all driven around customer service. Um, you know, we have a, a business called Sweet Aviation. We teach people how to fly. Uh, and we also rent airplanes and helicopters and that sort of thing. Another business called Sweet Cars, where we sell one, two, three-year-old cars. But I also have Lounge Optical, where we do eyeglasses and, and uh, vision sort of things. Uh, we have a, a couple of nightclub, restaurant things in town. But in every one of those, we're helping customers fulfill their dreams and their aspirations. And we're doing it in a way that's really, really high-quality customer service. Uh, the sweet brand in this area, this region has, has developed a, a brand, if you will, or a name. And we need to make sure that we always are upholding those sort of standards and those sort of qualities. That's what our customers expect. Where did the sweet name come from? Ooh, good question. Um, the real answer is when I was out in the country in my uh, 12 by 55 mobile home, um, there were lots of farms around me and the farms had little signs that said rolling meadow estates and bills acreage and all those sort of little wooden farm signs. And uh, at that point, my company was not named Sweetwater. And uh, but as I moved into the city, I mentioned my first house, I moved into the city and I wanted a sign that I could put by the road that would be big enough. My recording studio customers could find me, but small enough to not 
raised the ire of the local zoning officials. My house was not zoned commercial, but the next house over, the next business over was a commercial building, but mine was not. And so I needed some sort of a sign like that. I had two acres of land. I had a little creek in the backyard. Uh, and I said, huh, water, that's kind of sweet. And that was the name. I put a whole bunch of other names on paper, but that's the one I chose. You know, I've asked every marketing person who's ever worked for me to come up with a better story, but that is the truth. And, <laughs> and uh, the truth, the truth, you know, shall win. But, you know, since then I've heard of Sweetwater, the band that played at, at Woodstock in the bed and breakfast in the reception hall out West. And, but we were fortunate to register Sweetwater.com back in the early, early days of the internet. In fact, our registration is in 1994, which is like dog years in the internet world now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, joys that i have when i open a sweet water package is the bag of sweets was that your idea or how did that come about it was my idea um and we've changed it a little bit through the years we used to throw a handful of candy in the in the box and then people would complain because the candy would either get lost or they couldn't find it as it brushed up against their instruments uh today you know we send it with little packages that are kind of pre-sealed Yep. But uh, it's just a sweet way to say thank you. It really is just a sweet way to say thank you. You know, through the years, I've heard so many amazing stories from uh, I went to Palm Springs a few years ago and met a good customer of ours. And I walked up to the door and he called his son and he said, Tony, you know, Mr. Sweetwater's here. And the little boy is probably five, six years old. And he runs to the door. Mr. Sweetwater, I love you. I tell my dad to buy from you all the time because of the candy. <laughs> we had a story that went national a few years ago of a woman in Colorado, I have no idea why, but she's diabetic and she had no other food in her house, but she remembers she just got an order from Sweetwater and she'd gone into a diabetic coma. And again, it seems a little weird to me, but she she put the story out and made it national. And uh, again, it's a, it's a fun way to say thank you. I also get customers that are upset that we do the candy. You know, you can never please everybody. And so how dare you send this awful, awful stuff and people are fat in the United States and on and on and on. But I'd tell you 99.9% .9 of the customers love it. And it's also amazing how many customers have a preference and we track that level of detail. So if you want root beer barrel floats or butterscotch kisses or whatever it is, we'll mark your record accordingly. And that's what you'll get from us. And it's just, that, it's that shows the level of detail we try and go to. So, I love it. I absolutely, as a detail person, I absolutely love that. Absolutely. So I had Larry Dixon on the three time top fuel dragster race car driver. And he has come up with a two-seater top fuel dragster. It's $99.95 for one run down the drag strip. And what I proposed to him or what I asked him was, why wouldn't he align? Because now he's doing it just for people. My thought was, why not align with company, a company or companies to help promote not only their company, but to give back to the salespeople. This was exactly my proposition, where they, the company would run um, a contest, and whoever won that contest would get a ride 260 miles an hour in an eighth mile, 10,000 horsepower with a driver that's three-time champ. And one of my goals with this channel is to bring people together. I feel as though... While I'm not a musician, I absolutely am passionate about music and about listening to music on my two-channel system. And one of the 
things that I've noticed in my life is that there are incredibly brilliant, talented people out in the world that are unfortunately relatively unknown as well. And that might be partly due to some might say luck or not being in, in the right place at the right time, or even as simple as they just don't know how to market themselves, but they're brilliant minds, right? And one of the goals with this channel, as I said, is to bring those people together. So A, would you ever consider something like that where you do a contest and you basically, you know, raffle a ticket for an employee or even yourself um, for a ride like that as a way, as a car enthusiast that you are. And then the second part is, do you ever think of a product that Sweetwater does not sell that you feel as though they should sell? However, getting the person to design it would be a really difficult task, even with your connections of the business, because let's face it, all mainstream companies that typically design products are very busy designing the current products, right? Where something new and different might not be advantageous at that time. So would you ever consider working with a private designer to design something that would suit what you need? Yes to the second question. Um, although I will say we have a great relationship with all of our manufacturers, most of our manufacturers, and they come to us regularly uh, several years in advance usually, and help, we help design new products. It's something we don't you know, broadcast, we don't tell people about, but whether they use us to help design it or put a focus group together and ask what we think of features, that's something we do pretty regularly. Um, so I can't tell you that I'm so creative that I have some new additional idea I would like to do because I've already explained that to the manufacturers through the years. As for the drag racer, I don't know. I'm, I'm all about thrill and, and I'm a helicopter pilot and, and drive fast boats and all that, but 268 mile an hour, 10,000 horsepower. Whew, that kind of scares me personally a little bit. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to skydive. And yet uh, I have been 200 mile an hour in a car, but I don't know about 268 in, in, in something like that. I've, I've seen too many of them flip over and, uh, I don't know. That'd be interesting. You know, we have done other incentives for our employees. Um, we, we've sent them to Porsche driving experiences and other things like that through the years. And um, I don't know. I'd have to think hard about that drag strip car. That's quite interesting. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Check Larry out. He's uh, he's quite the guy. And it's um, it's an incredible story as well. Basically, he lost a sponsor and he needed to come up with something to do to help promote the sport and obviously his brand. And that's what he's come up with, which is quite interesting. And it's different, right? Absolutely. And it also provides a heck of a thrill for a lot of people. Yeah. So where do you think Sweetwater will go because you want it to go there? Right. So in our model is, is really unique. We fit neatly between the 5,000 music stores that are across the country and Amazon at the other end. So let me explain. So there are 5,000 stores and some of them are really, really good. A lot of them are not. A lot of them have, like I said, minimum wage employees. They don't have a lot of inventory. They're just hanging on by a thread. And that's no disrespect to the owners. That's just the position they're in. But they clearly don't have the economy of scale uh, that Amazon could have. And Amazon, on the other hand, 
is amazing at what they do. And whether you like them or not, they get it to you in a day or two usually. And, and they have a big variety of products and prices are reasonable and so on and so forth. But where we fit in between is we have 540 sales engineers and I can talk to you about how to use your Apple computer with a Mark the Unicorn interface and plug your Gibson Les Paul into it. They're not going to do that at Amazon and they don't have any interest in, in having a bunch of employees and all that. And I don't believe they can write computer, computer algorithms that could do all the, I mean, we represent 2000 vendors, 60,000 different products. And so all the permutations of how those work and what's personal to your studio or your live setup is completely different than the next person's. And, and so therefore we've been growing. We grew 40% last year. We fit neatly between Amazon and those 5,000 music stores because we do have the economy of scale. We do have great sales engineers and so on and so forth. We stock all the brands and so on and so forth. The bottom line for us, and I hate to make it this simple and this crass, but every sales engineer we bring on, put them through the training, and about nine months later, they're doing a million dollars of business. So you can just add the math up. If we add 120 to 140 sales engineers this year, you know, nine months after that, we'll be doing 120 to 140 million dollars of business. As I said, I've never really been driven by the numbers, by the dollars. They happen to just come. I just want to serve people and, and help them fulfill their dreams and their aspirations. We are focused on what we do. I don't anticipate that I'm going to sell golf clubs or cooking equipment, even though that would work in our model. Right. Um, I, I'm staying pretty focused on music equipment and with, that you might use in a school or a church or on stage or in a recording studio, a little bit of lighting gear, but we're not even heavy into video gear. We're really trying to stay focused on what we do. And I think we just want to do it well. And I'm just afraid if I got into other categories, I wouldn't do it as well as we do music. Chuck, what is your demographic in terms of your customer? Are they mainly hobbyists or are they professionals? I love that question. It's all over the map. We deal with the biggest of the biggest names, as you can imagine, when they want it absolutely positively delivered overnight to New York City or, or Las Vegas or wherever they may be. We do that. And, and again, it's the biggest names you can imagine. Uh, definitely a big part of our business is that amateur, the hobbyist, you know, and are they doing it as a hobby and maybe their day job? They're an attorney, a doctor, you know, a factory job. Um, they may be just be having a lot of fun doing music. Maybe they never leave their house. They do it just in their basement or their music room. Uh, or they may play in a weekend band, or they may have aspirations of, of doing something big someday. And then we have lots and lots of young people. You know, we, we seem to about age 14 or 15 moms using the credit card to buy their first birthday or Christmas presents of music instruments. And before long, they're a real customer at 18, 19, 20. And the other interesting thing is we're having lots of second and third generation customers now. Uh, but I love that we have 7 million customers and there is not one customer, not, not one category that's dominant over the other. And likewise, we have, I say, 2,000 vendors and not any one vendor that makes up a big percentage of our business. So we're very, very diversified. It's, right. it's a very, very incredible thing, frankly. And you do sell worldwide, correct? You know, we sell around the world, but our focus is in the U.S. Is it? Uh, yeah, we really want to have, our whole thing is about having a relationship with the customer. You know, okay. our model is that the sales engineer always talks to the same the customer always talks to the same sales engineer, assuming they're available, not on vacation and all that. And uh, that's hard to do when you have a time code or time zone difference or even a language difference. So we're really, I'd say 98% of our business is in the US. Uh, we speak English. We do have a Spanish speaking team for, for parts of the country that need Spanish. But 
Um, the stuff we send international is either a military person going APO, or maybe it's a missions organization that used to be in the United States and now doing something somewhere. But we don't advertise internationally. We don't try and get international business. We really do it just to fulfill the U.S. customers. Gotcha. Are your products picked by robot or by human hands? Oh, I wish it could be robots, but uh, no, we have human hands. And so our, our warehouse swelled in uh, November from about 400 normal employees to about 700 employees because everything is picked and packed really carefully and there's very little automation. I mean, there's automation from the form of barcoding, where we're putting inventory and how we pick it and all that sort of stuff, but it's all human intervention. That's incredible. Yeah. And I've noticed that even like a guitar is is played, measured, tuned, set up before it's even packed and shipped. Is that indeed true? That is. We call that our guitar gallery and we have a 50, 55 point inspection we do. And we literally take every guitar that's more than $300 and uh, we have a whole team, I don't know, probably 35, 40 people now and they open up every guitar and make sure that it's going to be great when the customer gets it. And the interesting question is you go, well, why do you have to do that? Well, frankly, they're all handmade and uh, you know, Mary on Monday at the Gibson factory or the Fender factory or the Paul Reed Smith or wherever the company, you know, maybe had a bad day or on Friday and, and, and just didn't quite get it perfect or get it to the standards that we want at Sweetwater. Right. And so we open up every guitar and make sure it's great out of the box. We, we, uh, we take really high quality pictures of it so you can see the, the wood grain and the serial number. We weigh it so you know exactly the weight because for some people, a nine pound Les Paul is great. For others, that's too heavy. And so every individual guitar by serial number is put on our website and you can buy exactly the guitar that you want. And it's been an amazing experience, but here's the, here's the number that will floor you because it still floors me every day. We sell 1,000 1, guitars every day, every day. We take pictures of every one of those thousand guitars every day. We take eight to 10 pictures. Interestingly, interestingly enough that we have several photographers and it's a setup thing, you know, where they, they go on a jig and we take the pictures quickly and automate and all that. We sure. actually wear the cameras out. The, the little thing on the camera, which is actually pushed electronically, we don't even push it with our finger, about 800,000 clicks and that camera doesn't work anymore. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And what is the time frame from the time company ships a guitar to the time it arrives at Sweetwater to the turnaround time that it actually is sold out the door? It depends. I mean, some customers are waiting on, so they've pre-ordered them and they're back ordered for a while and all that. It'll come into our building. I will tell you, we let it acclimate a day because if it's coming from a hotter or colder part of the country, you want it to, to get acclimated so the finish doesn't uh, get freckles on it and that sort of thing. Um, but then we're, we're on it right away and we'll ship it right back out right away. So, you know, probably from the time we receive it till it's in route to the customer, a couple, two or three days, if it's a guitar we have in stock and you call today to order it, I'm going to ship it out today. We've already checked it. We've already you know, QC'd it. Uh, we'll do one more quick pass at it, but it'll be out, you know, yet tonight. And depending where you live, you can have it tomorrow or a day or two or three. Incredible. And why haven't you set up distribution centers across North America. So it could be Amazon like, if you will. Right. Two points. Uh, we just opened up February of last uh, 2020, a brand new distribution center, distribution center. And it's, uh, it was just under 500,000 square feet. We actually soon thereafter added another 50,000. 
And sometime this year, we're going to have to add on again in order to get through the Christmas rush. But we had never had, as crazy as this sounds, we'd never had a, a distribution center that big. Our last one was a couple of 40,000 square foot boxes. And so to go to 500,000 was huge for us. And it's the first time in our corporate life that it's not physically attached to our building. Now it is only 200 yards away, but it's a separate building. Right. And we wanted to get the first one done first and get used to the idea of it being in this case, 200 yards away. We will open one on the West coast at some point in the future. And the, you know, then we'll know how we're breadboarding it here in Fort Wayne. And now the only thing we have to do is insert 2000 miles of wire internet between us and that West Coast distribution center. But I will tell you, there's a lot of value that we do in our warehouse and a lot of culture in our warehouse, like the guitar gallery and service department, and a whole bunch of other things. And we're, you know, do we have double the inventory and double the, the, the you know, can we get the same culture and same guitar techs and all that in another location? So those are some pretty big hurdles we'll have to jump through. And, you know, it, it, we have to do it. it it's going to make us more competitive going forward. In the short term, one more piece I would tell you, though, with everything going on with, with uh, Amazon, FedEx and UPS have started to distance themselves from Amazon. Amazon now has got their own trucks. They've got their own jets they've leased. And FedEx has come to us and other big uh, distributors like us over the last year or two and said, you're really important to us now. And how can we support you better? And, and so they're doing things to get products to the West Coast in a one or two day method that they didn't used to be able to do for us, or maybe not as efficient as they used to be. And then the other thing I would tell you, we are in the Midwest, and that does get us to a huge population in a day or two. Where we suffer is the West Coast or the Far East Coast, but we can pay upgraded shipping and get, get products to customers quickly if need be. So there's no plan of sweet aviation to turn into the delivery service. Oh, no, I think those planes are pretty small that we train in. We couldn't carry very much. That's a good question, though. Well, you can always upgrade, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's really interesting. And what does Chuck's normal day look like? Sleeps very few hours a night and yeah. gets up and tell us what, what your day is like. Yeah, I get up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning after going to bed about 2 o'clock. Um, get up pretty quick. Hopefully my 14 year old daughter is up by then. If she's not, then I don't get to see her before she goes to school. Uh, and I'm in here at work, but 6.30, 7 o'clock every day. And, uh, you know, I, I don't do selling to customers much anymore. I got a few friends that are still customers, but I'm doing stuff like this all day. I do lots and lots of meetings with, as I mentioned earlier, young entrepreneurs. I like to mentor young people and encourage them, show them the path, even though it's a little different than what mine has been, but I like to help people like that. We're involved with a lot of nonprofits. So I serve on several boards. Uh, I'm the president of the zoo board. I'm the president of our Philharmonic uh, orchestra board, and, and I'm involved with several others. And so basically my days are full of meetings today, you know, through the day. And uh, I work long hours. Um, it's very unusual for me to leave at five o'clock, but I do leave at six or seven. So I can go home and see my daughter and my wife. And then my wife goes to bed pretty early. She's a she's a night owl, so or being a, a she needs to hear eight or nine hours of sleep. So she goes to bed at eight thirty or nine o'clock, and I'll go out to my garage and do music or work on cars and that sort of thing. That's I wouldn't say that's a typical day, but that's kind of normal what goes on. And, and the the names and faces may change tomorrow, but it'll be along those sort of lines. Are you passionate about music education for the younger generation? 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. We've done so much for that and, and just try and encourage it. First off, I'm on the NAM Foundation Board, National Association of Music Merchant, and we raise money specifically uh, for young children in various programs. Uh, but my wife and I in, in Fort Wayne, uh, we, we supported a program a couple of years ago called Be Instrumental, and we're still paying on that program, but uh, donated nearly a million dollars to the Fort Wayne Community Schools to make sure every kid has the opportunity to have an instrument. Um, there's many, many other nonprofits that we're big supporters of. I think music and music education is the biggest gift you could ever give your children. I don't care if they ever play professionally, but learning to play a music instrument gives you the discipline to do better in school. You're going to do better in math. You're going to do better in English. You're going to do better on, in ensembles, whether that's an ensemble playing saxophone and flute or an ensemble of business people. You know, if we'd have had more musicians down in Washington, I'm convinced we'd have had better communication because that's what music does. It allows you to listen to others and, and to play when the appropriate time is and then listen again. We have a music academy here with nearly a thousand students that come in every week learning to play instruments. And so, again, as I said, there's no better gift than to give your child the gift of playing music. Again, with no aspiration that they're going to play professionally, just right. learn to play an instrument. Do you believe that that's some people's um, unfortunate path is they want so badly to be a professional musician that they almost miss some of the, the love of music and because they're so driven to be that professional musician rather than really feel the music, understand the music and be passionate about the music first. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't want to disagree with you, but I think, uh, I think most people, when they get into it, if they get into it far enough, they just appreciate what they're doing and probably with not a lot of aspiration to do something professionally. There's just something about playing an instrument, you know, and I've played my whole life. Um, I've told my wife for a long, long time, I can have a headache. I can be a little under the weather and you just start playing the instrument. And I don't know if, if it, if it really happens or just makes me feel like it's happening, but those ailments go away. Those, those things that are ailing you, you just don't think about it. Your, your mind and your heart's into doing the instrument and whether it's a placebo or it's the real thing, I don't care. I get the same in benefit. I would agree with you that it's the real thing because I get the same exact result. I think it truly is healing to everybody's soul and they should listen to more of it. They should certainly play more of it and certainly check out sweetwater.com more often and purchase instruments from a truly inspiring story that is the American dream. Chuck, I want to thank you so much for your time and what you do, not only for every musician, but certainly for every child out there that is part of your program. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you today. And I love, I love your program. I've, I've watched all the, the ones you've done so far. So keep it up, keep up the great work. And I would also finally close by saying people are welcome to reach out to me. If you have a question about business, it's simple as Chuck at sweetwater.com. You'll see that I answer all my emails and, uh, or if you want to buy some music equipment, email us, call us, whatever. And many of my people will be happy to take care of you. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Yeah. What I would say, you know, we've, we've come through, a, and we're not through it yet, but we've come through a pretty, pretty rough year. And I just want to encourage people. Um, I think people are generally good. And, and there are some on both extremes that are haters. And I've come over the last year to say, let the haters hate. And I want to focus on the positive. And, and I want people to be encouraged because there's always a way. There's just always a way. And failure is not an option in my book. And, and that's what I want to encourage people. Let's be kind to each other. Thank you so much, Chuck. I do appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.
Thanks for listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Intellectual People Podcast and online at the intellectualpeoplepodcast.com. Check back for exciting new episodes.